online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound. Welcome, you're listening to Mimi Harker, and this is Mimi Meets. And welcome to 2019. Now, as with every week, I like to bring you some very special guests, and this week is absolutely no different whatsoever. And this item, well, this programme was actually triggered off by a visit um, that I made to a school in my local area called the Beacon School. This has always been a school of great excellence, I have to say, and I'm very proud to say that it's also in my ward, and I've always enjoyed the fact that I've been able to tell people that it's in my ward. However, on this visit last year, I met Will Phelps, who is the headmaster of the Beacon School, and his vision was so inspiring, and his view of education and the way he talked about the future for our children was so, well, inspiring. I have to use that word again, that I wanted him to come in and share some of those views with you. So my very special guest this week is Will Phelps, who is the headmaster of the Beacon School. Will, welcome to Wickham Sound. Well, thank you, Mimi. And I don't think I've ever been so... Um, addressed, but it's very kind of you to say all those kind things about me. But um, thank you for asking me the to be truth. here. The truth. I thoroughly enjoyed my visit to the school because it's it's. I mean, it was probably the first time in a number of years that I actually had a chance to go in and go around and meet some of the boys and meet the staff and and have a look and see where the school was. It's a wonderful, wonderful environment for education. Yes, we're, we're very lucky. It's got absolutely fantastic facilities and it's got a real culture around it that helps boys own themselves and become who they want to be as adults and uh, we're very proud of that and it is undoubtedly a wonderful experience and the reason we invited you is because I didn't feel enough people understood what we were doing and there's a kind of whole outreach program around my leadership to try and make sure people understand what a boys school is all about. And you say a boys school, I know a lot of people might say oh why do we still have boys schools, why do we still have girls schools, do you have a particular you know a view on that at all? Well, I've run both. I've run a co-education school in Manhattan, and then I also have the privilege of running the beacon that is all boys. Um, And actually, you know, I come and go with this, but the reality is that if you provide the right environment for children, they will flourish, and they will continue to flourish. Now, it is slightly easier, I would say, to provide an all-boys environment where boys will flourish, and that is where the whole ownership of your school and the kind of commitment to everything that a school allows a child to do, their sport, their music, their drama, you know, that comes through. So the Beacon is successful for very many reasons, but fundamentally is because it knows what it's trying to do for young boys in the 21st century. And I think that's remarkable. But co-education schools, I don't know a head teacher that isn't going to be proud of their school. So, you know, every school are, are ultimately are wonderful places of learning, provided you've got the right facilities and the right people in it. And I couldn't agree more. But one of the things I have to say that happens to me when I walk through the doors of the Beacon, and whether it was five years ago or just a few months ago when I popped in to see you and have a tour and a refresh, if you like, of what was happening, it's the atmosphere. It is... There's just a feeling of joy around the school. There's a real feeling of anticipation. There's a real sort of sparkling eyes, um, you know, this anticipation of going into a classroom and learning. And that really, really, really comes across, that enthusiasm to get in there and just get on with it. There's definitely a can-do culture from the children, and they absolutely love coming to the Beacon. I think it's partly because we offer them a very broad education. So, yes, we obviously prioritise academics, and, you know, you want them to spell, to read, to write, to the best of their abilities. But we also offer a lot of other 
opportunities so that they can play sport and they can be on stage and they can paint and they can do cooking and nutrition. And I think all of that provides a kind of a wantingness or a willingness to go to school and to enjoy it. Um, and, you know, we're very proud of it. Our strapline um, around the beacon is traditional values. So we want them to be well-mannered. And we want them to be orderly and to, to wear their uniform. But we're also contemporary. And I, and I want them to enjoy coming to school, to enjoy the relationships with the teachers and with the adults that are there. And I hope we're a world-class experience because I do want to be a beacon of education, not really just for boys, but for everyone who comes through because I think all schools can do this provided they've got the right people and, of course, the right funding. Of course, and funding is such an important part of the education system. I mean, literally this week we've been hearing stories about sort of state schools that are having a real problem with funding mm. is spending beyond their means is the way it was put on one particular interview and i'm thinking to myself beyond their means because all i'm hearing about is cutbacks i mean how do you sort of feel about that well i think i think education in itself is facing a lot of change and, and a, a lot of that change is come going to come through technology and i i would worry about a, a society that offers a kind of two-class education. Um, and I think you may get to this, where if you keep schools open with lots and lots of people in it, i.e. lots and lots of teachers, and say that's your premium education, that may well be very unique and, and very exclusive because I think what is going to occur is, and we'll t maybe talk about more of this, the virtual reality of how education can be delivered. But what you can't do is take away from children the eye to eye and the moment with adults that are guiding them and that are experienced in, guide, in guiding, you know, a mind that is growing. And, and I want to say one thing that I think is really important. You know, children, yes, we define them as growing up from up to 18 and then they're adults. In my view, both boys and girls need an enormous amount of guidance all the way up to 25, if not longer. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I, I felt that deeply when my kids went to university, actually. And that was the first time I thought, goodness me, nobody will talk to me at the university because they're now considered as adults. Yes, and I think there's a real danger there because I think at 18 and 21, you can feel invincible and immortal. And actually, the reality is you, you need a team around you to be successful. And I think you need a team around you right the way through life. And I think we are in danger of allowing our children to grow up slightly too quickly and uh, give them too many freedoms to begin with. And I'm not against children having fun and enjoying life, but what I do think is they need people in their lives that are going to guide them. Usually it's going to be their parents. Uh, if it isn't their parents, then it should be other people there to support the child as they grow up. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it is vitally important to have that support system around you. But that's one of the things I feel when I go into the school. It is a really safe, secure environment. It's warm. I'm going to say this. It feels warm and fuzzy when you go oh. in. When you come out, you've got this big smile on your face. You've met the students who are there. And they are so polite. And they're so engaging with you. And that's what I love, the fact that you can just walk into a classroom and start talking and immediately there's engagement i love it i just love it well that's kind of you but that that you know that comes from a child feeling secure in their environment so there are many things in this very regulated environment 
that keeps them safe and secure. Perimeter fences, policies. We have about 90 policies to mm-hmm. which we need to update to make sure that, that they are sort of safe and secure. And then underneath that, they need to enjoy being with those adults. And I'm, in t- I'm really proud of the teachers that we employ at The Beacon because they go way beyond the expectation to allow children to relax so that they can feel comfortable in their own skin and they mm-hmm. can feel welcomed and feel valued for who they are because when you get that self-confidence piece growing in a child, there really is, it's limitless as to what they could possibly achieve. And so, you know, we, we work on that with them and in a world where you can do anything now... One thing I want them to be is to be kind and to be kind to each other. That was my New Year message, actually, when I put it out there at, on the 1st of January. And it was, be, be happy, be peaceful, be kind. Well, we run the school on three main rules, be kind, be kind, be kind, which is not unique. I kind of un- undeniably stole that from another great headmaster. But more importantly, underneath it, if you, if you think about what a child should be and what they want them to be, we want them to be kind, we want them to be polite, and I'd like them to be useful. Mm-hmm. And those three rules really run through everything that we try and do. So have you always wanted to be a headmaster? Was that when you were sort of setting out on your educational journey, did you sort of feel... Yes, this is this is what I want to do. I want to teach. I want to be with young people. I want to help grow those incredible minds, and and then you sort of end up sort of being a headmaster. So how was that journey? How was that journey for you? Well, I don't think I could. I think looking back on it, I don't think I could have got away with it. You know, um, my father was an Oxford professor, so he was brilliant at mathematics. One of my brothers is deputy head at a, a very large independent school in Oxford, and my other brother is a leader in his own community. And and actually leadership and and being a teacher was something that was important but i would say that you know i was lucky enough that my parents allowed me to study theology and religious studies at a levels they didn't push me into maths and science to become anything that they wished me to be they allowed me to be who i wanted to be and i spent four years very happily at university in london studying religious studies looking at the world faiths and being really interested about that and many of my aunts and uncles said, well, he's obviously going to be a vicar. And that didn't come my way. That wasn't a calling. <laughs> but, but the reality is, of course, in the end, I absolutely cherish human beings. And I think they need to be looked after. And I think we need to look after each other. And so falling into teaching and teaching religious studies at, I did it at Aldenham and then I did it at Abingdon School. I, I loved that role because many children came into my classroom saying, there's no point learning about world faiths. And I'd say, I think there is because you need to understand what drives people. And we talked a lot about theology and philosophy. And I loved that debate and that discussion. Um, and then the next step for me was when, you know, an opportunity run the British International School of New York came along I'd been mar- I was married by then to an American, and it was a wonderful opportunity to take that next leap of responsibility. And I think I still use some of my theology to help define some of the very difficult decisions you have to make. Mm-hmm. There are two questions that are now burning in my mind, because you were saying your parents didn't push you towards the science and the maths and all that sort of thing. They allowed you to do what you wanted to do. Um, I come from an Asian background. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to say I was allowed that um, that leniency, shall we say. I, every day of my life I heard doctor, dentist, uh, uh, engineer, 
My father was a civil engineer. Um, but that's all I ever heard was doctor, dentist, engineer. Oh, and interpreter for United Nations because I had a, a musical ear and I could pick up languages very quickly. <laughs> so that was another little you know, dream that my parents kept pushing on me. And, of course, I've ended up doing none of that. So <laughs> it's quite fascinating to hear what you say there. Do you think um, looking at sort of like the mix of children in your school... Um, do you see? Do you feel that cultural pressure at all? Oh, definitely. And uh, you know, I don't know a parent that doesn't wish the very best for their children. I don't know a parent that doesn't offer a vision for their children. Or you could do that. Very often, it will come from either a place that they wish they had achieved, or that they wish that they would like their children to replicate. Um, and, and there's no doubt that education within my family was highly valued. And, and it was something that was given to us and allowed for us to grow into. Um, I, I don't know whether my parents had it right, but it allowed me to choose what I wanted to do. I, I do find it slightly challenging when a parental view is enforced on a child, especially at their, after their GCSE choices. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end, I think... You know, to be really wise parents, we have to listen carefully to what our children are saying. And that isn't easy. There's no doubt about that. That Parenting is a challenge for everybody. And I think we all need to support each other on that journey. But giving guidance and at a parameter for a child to make those choices, that's important. Um, There was no doubt that I had to go to university. There was no doubt that I had to do A-levels. There was no doubt that I had to keep working. But it's what I chose to do that allowed me to be the person I want to be, and I think that gives you an authentic voice. Indeed. I remember when my daughter came home and said to me she was doing maths, further maths, physics and chemistry, and she was going to be an astrophysicist, and I was so overjoyed by this daughter of mine, the princess in my life, the apple of my eye, sort of coming in and saying that this is what was going to happen. And she came home one day and said, that's it, Mum, I'm not doing any of that anymore. I'm going to go to the local college and do a BTEC in fine art. Mm. And she was 17, and I looked at her and I went, oh... Um, okay, is that what's going to make you happy? And she said, Mum, I'm a creative person. I need to be doing that. And do you know what? She she did do that. She went back and she started all over again. And she did her BTEC in fine art. Then she went off to Manchester University, did an amazing course there in material science um, and business studies, uh, where she could use her maths and her physics and her chemistry as well, which is something she also loved. And she's now flying. And I'm so proud of what she's doing with her life. She works for one of these, you know, the, one of the top global companies in, in their, one of their grad schemes. She also came up with the first class honours um, in her in her subject. And, you know, it's about letting them be who they want to be isn't it well it is and it's also about letting those those true talents of creativity and curiosity flourish within a child and i think that is the important thing to listen to absolutely now we're going into the break so we need your first song choice please so my first song choice and i thought long and hard about this comes from an experience in new york where um i was walking through central park and in in central park there's a a wonderful place called strawberry fields and in strawberry fields there's a, a a kind of memorial to john lennon and you know that is an absolutely i adore that city but it is the craziest city i've ever worked in and it was a place of serenity and peace. And I think uh, on that, on that um, memorial is this word, imagine. And the, the song Imagine, by, written by John Lennon, is a very special song. It has um, endless amounts of kind of meaning for us to this day, where we might be fighting about Brexit and we might be fighting about building walls in America. The reality is that we need a little, lot of peace and a lot of understanding of one another. And I think that's this song encapsulated. And I'll also add that um, for one of my final kind of assemblies a young boy 
very young, uh, of about you know seven years old, s- sat on stage in front of three hundred people and sang it, wow. and it brought the whole house to wow. tears. So it has something in it, both for me, but I think it has a message for us all about how we've got to try and think bigger than the current situation. Amazing. Love music. Love talk. Love Wickham Sound. You're listening to Mimi Harker on Mimi Meets with my very special guest this week, Will Phelps, who is the headmaster of the Beacon School. And it really is a beacon of excellence. And I'm extremely proud of it because it also happens to be in my ward. So, big, smug Cheshire cat smile there. (laughs) Welcome back, Will. So, we, we heard about your reasons for choosing Imagine and John Lennon, but in the first segment you were talking about education and the fact that you taught in Manhattan, I think you said it was. Yeah, so I was the headmaster of the British International School of New York and uh, I did that for five years and it it was an extraordinary experience Um, and it was really the main aim of that school, which is still really successful, um, was to try and showcase British education in America. And, you know, for me, with an American wife, Kim, who I adore, and my own three children who are uh, British and American, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And um, it was an exciting, fundamentally, you know, a cornerstone, really, I think, of my career. And I absolutely enjoyed it. So you say you were teaching about how British schools, or in the British style, so did you use the curriculum? Yeah, so what we did is we took the British, the national curriculum, um, and then we added in the philosophy of the IB. So we had the International Baccalaureate, and we put both those things together. So essentially what we did was have the curriculum uh, um, that the UK would normally expect for children, and we gave the philosophy, really, of the IB. And Mm -hmm. that gave it its unique selling point within... uh, within Manhattan, which has now been replicated. There are other schools out there doing okay. it. So, um, But it was it was a really exciting moment because you could trumpet British values. Trumpet? <laughs> uh, uh, well, you could, you could at least say, this is what Britain stands for. And um, uh, that was an exciting moment for the school. Indeed. And how did that go down? Well, it was really interesting because, you know, if you looked at um, the pupils that came to the school... A third would be British, so they were probably, you know, people who got a contract into Manhattan were going to be there for five years, and we looked after them. And my job was then to get them back into the education system back here after five years. A third of our pupils would be from the United Nations, so they tended to be countries that were either Commonwealth or ex-Commonwealth, and maybe their parents had had an experience of British education in their own country, and they wanted to replicate there. And the most interesting third were the American families in Manhattan that chose British education above American education. And they definitely were people who we would focus on to work out why they were making that choice. And if you look at the statistics and you look at what's happening in America, actually fundamentally there are moments in the state education out there that are not strong enough and that children are slipping through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be more funding and there needs to be more thought put around particularly early years education mm-hmm. um, throughout America and to, for us to value what we actually do as early years educators because it's extraordinary. So the education system in the US, is it very different to the system that we use or the curriculum that we use in the UK? 
So there are certain differences. I mean, fundamentally, they're still children. Yes. So there is still that journey of yes. growing and understanding. And there is still the joy of learning fundamentally throughout it. What I would say in America is they found it very hard to have a overall curriculum that all children in America will experience. So it varies state by state. Right. And it varies also can do from school by school. Uh, and so there is no uniformity. Now, the na English, the British national curriculum in its original state at least formulated a, a set of principles and ideas that we wanted all children to be exposed to at whatever age. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge advantage. And lo and behold, one of our major exports is British education. So the amount of British schools that are opening throughout the world is an enormous credit to what this country has always done, which is look after children and educate them properly and make them be the men and the women that we want them to be. Indeed. And did you did you have a family when you were doing all this? Yeah, so I, I was so Kim, my wife, and we have three children, yeah. uh, Millie, Tom and Ava, and all three had to go to the British International School of New York and kind of put up with uh, my headship um, um, and if you if they were in the room they'd be rolling their eyes now they had to put up with my assemblies um, and they for, for, for good or ill um, they survived and we're, I'm tremendously proud they are ultimately the inspiration in my life the three children how they are emerging and I'm very proud of them but they have, and they have a formal apology from me now, that they had to put up with a slightly embarrassing dad who did embarrassing things in order, in the end, to make sure that the community grew. And how old were they when they were there at the same school? So, when, so when Ava arrived, she was four. Uh -huh. um, Tom would have been seven, and um, Millie would have been about nine. And they had five years where they were all together as a group, and I'm glad they're not in the room, actually, because they have many <laughs> embarrassing stories um, about me. But um, fundamentally, they're all now in the care of other better head teachers than me and I'm very pleased about that as well. And how was that relationship actually having the children there and you're the head teacher so did you have to be more strict with them did you have to show people that you weren't you know having any particular sort of favoritism or or anything because they were your children or how did that work? Well I think for them they always they always knew that they had to be in school way before anybody else was so they came into my office at 7 30 in the morning oh, gosh. <laughs> and that was hard they would have breakfast around me as we had to get up much earlier yeah so so they always felt oh why do we have to come to school earlier than anybody else during the day however I was merely kind of an embarrassing shadow who might <laughs> appear and look into a classroom for lots of different reasons and they'd go oh here he is again um uh, uh, so I don't think it was too tortuous but there were moments obviously when you know when you lead a community you have to make decisions and you have to make decisions that you think are right for the majority of the people and it's very rarely around an individual yes and it's also very rarely that you make a decision on your own you make it with the community um, and so as schools grow and evolve you have to change what they are doing and that change is difficult for people and certainly for children and I think they did experience at times bits where I might have said that we are going to do something and then the school changes its mind and mm -hmm. they, children find that very difficult yes yes like yes yeah, but change is difficult for anybody isn't yeah. it so on that note <laughs> when you had to come back to this country you obviously had to bring the family back with you the change wasn't that big a deal was it because you'd adopted the same sort of education system yeah, no, the change for them was really that, that I was no longer part of their educational career. So they all went on to different schools, apart from Tom, who actually had to come to the Beacon for two years. Uh, and that I think they enjoyed, the, the space away 
from uh, you know from from being part of being known. I mean, if you're a head teacher, you're known as the head teacher, uh, and they ha- they for good or ill, they have to live with that. As I go around, you know, Tesco's and people say hello, Mr. Phelps, <laughs> and, and you know that there's very you, you know it's a very public role as well as a private mm, role. So. Mm. Um, yeah, they they had they, there were changes, and we were pleased to come back, particularly to the Beacon, because it is a place that I knew very well. I, I spent a long time going over to Watford, so this was very close to home, and my own family um, lives in Oxfordshire. So it wasn't, it was a tremendous leap coming back, but it was done with the knowledge of what we were coming to. Yes, indeed. And you were saying that that's quite an important point you touched on there about the the public sort of persona as well, because everybody knows you. Because you're the headmaster. And then you, I mean, do you live in the local area as well? Live in the local area, shop in the local area, walk the dogs in the local area, do everything that a normal family would do in the local area. Um, And, you know, I I can both, you know, clear restaurants because I arrive with my family and they go, I don't want to be near Mr Phelps. (laughs) Or... Or, or I can, you know, you can be, you can go to a place and everybody wants to talk to you. So, yes. so it it works in both ways. So it's a double-edged sword. Um, but you know, I go back to in the end, if you're authentic in what you're doing, yeah. and if you really believe you're doing the right thing around children, then I really do think it should resonate towards the parents as well. Yes. Even when some of the conversations undoubtedly are challenging. Indeed. Um, but but if it if it's truth and if you're holding on to that truth and if it's authentic and people understand why you've made those decisions then it's pretty easy to live with and pretty easy to understand so what's the longest and this is very personal here so what's the longest you've ever taken to get round tesco Well, I don't think that depends on the season and what I'm shopping for, but um, with, without a doubt... I ask for a very good reason, by the way. Uh, OK, well, it's a strange <laughs> it's, question. And, and, and um, I will tell you why I ask, because when I go down there, I have to sign in at the desk most days to say that I'm here. This is my car registration number, because as I walk around um, the store picking up my bits and pieces in my basket, um, people talk to you <laughs> and chat to you, and I tend to hold mini-surgeries as I go around as well. So, uh, Well, so I kind of, being quite a shy person actually I kind of avoid that so I would definitely put on a, a baseball hat and I would go around quite quickly to avoid really a lot of that. yes I'm afraid <laughs> so um, because I really do see going to Tesco's as a point of getting what I need yeah. and then leaving yeah. um, but and maybe I should embrace that more and spend longer doing it. Do you know, I love it. I, I really do. Sort of literally, you're walking around. I always get all the sort of the non-perishables first because I know I'm going to have at least six or seven conversations as I go around. So I always get my non-perishables first. I start with everything that isn't, you know, frozen or, or fresh and <laughs> I work my way around. And then, of course, towards the end of it, if I have got frozen, I always say to somebody, walk with me, walk with me. I mean, I've got to get to the till so that all my, you know, those don't defrost or whatever. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't think I've had that experience. It's, it's, it's a great way to have surgeries. It really is. So when people say you don't really hold surgeries, I say, well, it depends how many times I go to Tesco during the week, actually. Oh. <laughs> so, no, it's good fun. And things, it's my, my cousin as well, he's, um, he's a GP up in um, Huddersfield. He does not live in the same place that he is a GP because mm. he said you'd be in a pub and somebody would come up to you and they'd start talking to you about, you know, what's wrong with their bunions or something else and they'd want a prescription sort of written there and there at the pub sort of counter and he said that really became quite intrusive into his life so (laughs) he moved (laughs) yeah i think if if you are a public figure or if you're a leader of a community then you also need to value your own space and we find that in different places and different places and for me sometimes it's you know disappearing back to america to florida to escape so that people hardly know who i am and that 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 is something to 
to remember is important to recharge your batteries. I've got some, a really funny story on that. So it was our 30th wedding anniversary last year. Robin decided that he was going to whisk me off on a, to Jamaica, actually. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And um, as we got off at the other end, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, aren't you Mimi Harker? <laughs> Airports can definitely be a place where you can meet a lot of people. And Robin just looked at me and he said, hmm. Well, there you go. So nine hours later and someone's still tapping me on the shoulder. Yeah. It was good fun, though. Good. I did enjoy smiling over that one. So coming back to the UK after your wonderful adventures in America, what did you bring back with you that was specifically something that you might have picked up there, learnt there, a culture there, a theory, something there that really resonated What was the best bit about it? What I absolutely admire about America and the American ethos is, first of all, the hard work. And a lot of American teachers and educators and workers work really, really hard. Um, So there's that work ethic that I really admire. But also there's a tremendous fluidity within the American culture of, you know, when failure comes, it's not seen as a disappointment, it's seen as an opportunity And I really do believe that because ultimately, you know, there's no way that I get things right every day. I don't think anybody does. And actually embracing when you've gone wrong and asking the school to think carefully about how we could do it better and reflecting on our performance, that's something that I think America definitely offered to me, that not to be um, afraid of failure, but actually to embrace it and Mm -hmm. to learn from it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you ask my wife, you you know, what am I really good at? fundamentally what she says i'm quite good at tidying up after parties so if we had a a party for the family um i'm the kind of guy that would do all the washing up because i like that reflection that it gives me how can i do it better and putting things back in order and we do the same at the beacons when we've done an event we come together we talk about how it could be better and you, you you learn from that experience so i think america and american education has that kind of double loop learning in it that makes you think about what you've done and reflect carefully about what how you could do it better and that I think is definitely part of it the other piece that I think that maybe the governors were interested in and and I hope I can give the beacon is this kind of world class or world view you know as I said before in a world where you can be and do anything because of technology Mm -hmm. then it's really important that we don't see the beacon or Buckinghamshire as the centre of the world Yes, that we have to compete and we have to understand that it is a global yep world and we have to make sure that our children are ready for that competition and what a great note to go into your second song choice please so my second short song choice is you two um i still don't know what i've been looking for if you uh and it comes really from my kind of slightly restless soul that i have there is no doubt that in order to improve on performance you have to keep constantly coming back and thinking about how you could do it better um and people who know me most of all will know that I am restless in myself because I'm constantly seeking to 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 get better in who I am but also more importantly when I look at education it is a restless place at school it isn't just a place where children feel warm and happy actually great teachers need to provide challenge and great teachers need to be supported in providing that challenge because challenge will be about change and it will be about that restlessness of are you still not sure what you're looking for and i think that piece is a really important part of humanity this is the award-winning wickham sound welcome back to the final part of mimi meets and my special guest this week is will phelps who is the headmaster of the excellent beacon school in my ward Mm, you can't sense that sense of pride there can you (laughs) 
Um, it's, it is a wonderful school to have. And when we went into the break, Will, you mentioned that your song choice was all about improving on performance, constantly seeking to get better, constantly looking for that improvement and wanting to learn and to make things better. Um, and reflection was another word you used. And one of the things that you're very well known for within the school um, world and within the community is the fact that you are very charitable in the things that you do within the school. Is that all part of making people better, making the world better, and, and that sort of seeking, if you like, to, to just improve? Well, I, th- I think it is, and I think, you know, we teach enormously privileged children who've got wonderful lifestyles, and, and actually what I want them fundamentally to know is that they have a role in society to give back. They have a role in society to be generous and to be thoughtful and to be kind and you have to teach children to be like that and you have to give them opportunities to really show how they can give both in their talents in their time and in their money and and develop that development piece which is you know fundamentally part of the beacon and something that is is going to emerge even even larger than it is at the moment within my school is the giving people the opportunity to give back to their community so they can be the leaders and the stewards we want them to be. So we do partner with charities. We do help them and support them. Local charities that we believe you know, need our support and we work together. Um, and in particular, we, I've worked very closely with a charity called The Theatre Shed, which mm-hmm. um, is, is definitely now part of our umbrella of kind of charities. And we work together to allow those children who live completely different lives from Beacon children to be part of our community, to perform with us. And we're very proud of what we have done to support Theatre Shed and we're very proud of that relationship. And I I believe ultimately that that could be replicated um, throughout many other charities that are local, that are of a kindred kind of spirit of trying to improve and give back to a society that you know, genuinely needs that. Absolutely. My whole life has been spent serving um, in the community. Uh, my entire adult life has been, I've been a volunteer since I was 12 years old. So for me, that is part of the absolute fabric of who I am as a human being, which is why I'm finding it very hard for those of you who are listening out there and who know me well, very hard to go into paid employment because it doesn't rock my boat the way working in the community does <laughs> I find it very hard but there's a balance to be had there which I, I need to find this year so for me I mean I look at the work that goes on and I look at the ethos in young people and I think one of the wonderful things that schools can do is to really ingrain that sort of spirit of giving kindness caring into young people because what a difficult society we live in today you just have to turn the news on and it's just one horror story after another yeah, and, and, and I don't think that's going to go away. And I actually think that, you know, the world that we live in now is fraught with debate and argument over, over things that many people don't really understand at all about. Mm. Um, you know, it's difficult to get your head around something like Brexit. And, you know, I'm glad I'm not a politician. But what I do know is that all communities need strong leadership. They need considerate leadership. And they need... They need the, everybody needs the ability to be able to contribute in some format mm-hmm. and encouraging children to look after the community that they might go to, their school, mm-hmm. and to look after the other people around them, I think is a fundamental thing that we all have to focus on. And you're only going to do that when you allow the community to be resourced enough to be able to allow children to show empathy and creativity indeed and i'm going to have the pleasure of working with the school and some of the boys and we're going to get a project up and running 
um, as they come to the final few months of their time at the Beacon School. We're going to work with some veterans, aren't we? Well, the hope is that we're going to work with some veterans and ask them to come in and, and have breakfast or tea and for the veterans to see what we do it is a form of remembrance for the sacrifice that our armed forces gave to our country and continue to give to, it, to our country to give us security. I think that's a really valuable message for our children to understand what that means. But also, I think if we can help veterans to be uh, run alongside and come into a school and see young people who are going to perform for them and who are going to be part of their, yes. their lives, I, I think that can only help us under the, the kind of concept of understanding the generations absolutely. and understanding what we do. Absolutely. And for me in particular, I would have to say that that sort of intergenerational work would be absolutely vitally important to my children because my children sadly don't have grandparents. So they don't understand the, the benefits of having that older generation in their life. Yeah, there's an un undeniable wisdom that children need from grandparents or from the equivalent yes. that is something to be embraced and understood. It reduces anxiety around children, it reduces stress, and parents aren't always the person to reduce anxiety and stress. Actually, a grandparent or the equivalent can do that beautifully by reading through a situation and being saying sometimes to a child, don't worry, yes. this will go away, yes. as most things do in life in mm -hmm. the end. You know, having that solidity of knowing who you are yep. and that even in the greatest challenges, that moment will pass as well. Yes, indeed. So... The ethos around community is quite a strong one, is the feeling I'm getting. Yeah, it's certainly part of the 10-year vision that we are going to unpack a development fund that's going to reach out to our ex-pupils, to our ex-parents, to our current pupils, our current parents, and we're going to launch kind of a community so that we can all be part of this Beacon brand. And I hope that builds both people willing to give us time, their expertise, maybe support us in a development fund that we've got that we choose to do or a building project but the idea is that the beacon becomes this community a center a flame if you like of you know a kindness but more importantly i think bringing people together so that they have a sense of community because mm -hmm. i think that's really important I, I for me of course community is my lifeblood so of course i'm going to agree with that one wholeheartedly and um, we talked about so many things and this you know the, the time is nearly up it's just flown by and there is so much more we could talk about. We didn't even touch on virtual teaching, which is something I wanted to raise with you to see if there was any sort of mileage in it for the simple reason you have exercise classes now with virtual teachers. When I look at the expertise that you have under your roof, how wonderful would it be to share that with, say, a country that doesn't have that expertise and would really cherish and relish the opportunity to link in with you, for example? And maybe your teachers could teach virtually across, you know, across the eons of time and space. Well, there is definitely capacity to do that. Um, I'm not quite sure that the technology is really there. And I'm not quite sure that our whole community understands what that could be. But there are glimpses of it. Khan Academy would be a good example mm -hmm. of all the kind of small slithers of lessons that can be used to enhance educational learning. When, when I think about virtual reality, though, for children, I think that's really exciting. Probably the next stage where a child might be able to put on goggles and might be able to virtually deconstruct a jet engine by touching yes, it and wow. moving it. Now, that, that would be moving it to a yet another platform yes. um, and us to be able to use all that technology to enhance it. But I go back to how I started. Children fundamentally need other adults around them. And they're, they're, they're the teachers that are the gifted people 
that can see the adult within the child and urge that adult out and guide that child. And that's not going to go away. But I do think that data-driven education and online portfolios of what a child can do are going to emerge and going to grow, and they're going to be things that we are going to have to embrace because it is fundamentally going to widen the opportunity for these children in the 21st century, which, you know, we don't really know the jobs they're going to have to do. Yes. So we need them to be very fluid and agile. Indeed. So if you've got, got your, your future-looking goggles on there, I've just handed them over to you, where do you see education going in the next 10, 20 years? I think that is a very difficult question to answer, but I'll give you a few glimpses of what I perceive growing. There is no doubt that we continue to test children for what they can achieve. Those tests are going to go increasingly online, are going to be something that a child does and will give us data about how they approach a task, whether they can do something or whether they can't do something. Mm -hmm. That information is going to inform more readily the educator, who most education is done at the moment, yes, on evidence, but also on instinct and feeling. And that's really important as well. But I think what's going to happen is that data is going to drive our schools so that they can be more efficient in the way that we then use the adults to really guide a growing child. And I suspect what's going to happen is is that the educators are going to have to be better informed, more knowledgeable about the growth of the brain and what we can expect Mm -hmm. children to do and can't do. Uh, And those two things are going to come together. So actually, fundamentally, what's going to happen is our schools could go completely online, but the guidance guidance that's going to be needed around children is then going to have to be even more professional. Indeed. And we really are coming to the end of this hour, but I've got one further question for you. Do you think mindfulness, meditation, yoga to start the day is a good way to start it? Yes, and I I really do think that reflection and thoughtfulness is central now for a chaotic world. It needs, if it's going to be successful, to be embedded in the heart of the community, something that is not just done as a kind of pilot, but is done and is embedded so it has legs to go throughout the years and throughout the school. And we have we have definitely attempted that. We've moved into that zone. There's more to do to embed it so it's a real thing for children. But yes, the, the concept of reflecting and clearing our minds and getting us ready for the day, that is something that, again, in a world where we're permeated by technology and information, and the children are as well, and that's only going to grow, is going to become even more valuable. Will Phelps, it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure to have you here at Wickham Sound today. Thank you so much for joining us um, and for sharing your views, your yourself with us. It's been a fascinating journey um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed having you here. We're going to be working on a few projects throughout the year um, together and what would be really, really nice is if you would come back and we could have a, a chat again in the future about the projects and how they've panned out and what have been the outcomes because they're going to involve children, they're going to involve radio, they're going to involve charities they're going to involve all sorts of things well thank you Mimi I, I, and I'll be delighted to come back it's been a, a kind of terrifying but pleasurable experience so um, you know, <laughs> thank you very much I, no, no, I think beforehand was more terrifying than actually doing it so, and you're, you're, you're very easy to talk to bless you no it's been fantastic fun to have you in here today your final song choice 
Yes. So, and I'm going to caveat it before I tell you what it is. I have three children, and I I love and admire all three of them, and they're very different. I love Millie because she's a hardworking, very clever young girl, and I love Ava because she is a very creative and she's a great cook. In my in the middle of them is a, is a young boy called Tom, and Tom's my son, um, and. You know, he's remarkable in one sense that ten, at the age of 10 he picked up a guitar and he's now a singer-songwriter and he wrote this song with um, another girl, Annie May, and it's called Rough. And the fact that I find absolutely amazing is both these children are 14 and it's been produced by them together and it is a, it's a great tune and I really love it and it's very successful. He's going to produce his own EP uh, extended play in the next few, few months and, you know, I'm uh, amazed always amazed at what not only my children can do but what any child can do when they're given that platform to be successful and creative absolutely and i completely understand because i've got one of my own at home who does exactly that so will it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure to have you in the studio thank you so much for coming in to talk to us at wickham sound we will be going out on your final song choice which is anime featuring tom Veltz, and it's called rough And thank you very much again. And thank you to everybody for listening out there. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You've been listening to Mimi Harker. This is Mimi Meets. And you've been listening on Wickham Sound. You've been listening to a podcast from Wickham Sound. To find out more, head to wickhamsound.org.uk.